This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Grab your Bibles, please, and open them to the Gospel of John, and we're going to be working through chapter 5, a good part of chapter 5. In our lesson today, Jesus is in the region of Galilee, which would probably be three or four days by foot north of Jerusalem. He has just performed what we might call a virtual miracle. We hear that word a lot today, virtual, but the difference is the miracle was actually real. It was just performed at a distance. And what had happened was that a businessman who had never met Jesus but had heard about him approached him and said, Master, my son is sick, and just try to capture the emotion here, and I'm afraid he's going to die. Would would you please come to my house and, and heal him? And And Jesus essentially said, go back home. You'll find that he's been healed. And what I want to point out is that businessman had to make the same decision that all of us have to make 2,000 years later. He had to decide whether or not he could trust Jesus. He had to decide whether or not to believe what Jesus said. But he did believe him. And he went home and found that sure enough, his son had been completely healed. Well, after this account, Jesus and those following him went up the hill, even though it was south. So I guess you could say they went up south, up, way up actually, to the city that was set on a hill, the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. And that is where the Apostle John chronicled today's lesson. Let me read John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now understand that as John is writing this, this wasn't a situation of, well, you know, I heard rumor, I heard this account from someone else, uh, or I read this in in the Jerusalem Post, but, but John's perspective was, I was there. I I saw it with my own eyes. I I was with Jesus when all of this took place. And and what's interesting here is that John gives quite a few details for a guy. You know, men typically, and and ladies, this isn't a real good place to to say amen, but but men are typically not detail-oriented. In fact, the first two services, women couldn't keep from saying amen, but but I want you to notice that the details, uh, notice the details that John gave in verse 2. He talked about the sheep gate, and that was the gate on the southeastern side of Jerusalem that still exists today. He talked about a pool called Bethesda. Now, Bethesda was an Aramaic word, and it actually means house of mercy. He talked about the fact that this pool was surrounded by, by five covered colonnades. The next verse even gives more details. Verse 3, here meaning the area by the pool of Bethesda, a great number of disabled people used to lie. Here are the details. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So the, the people who hung out at this pool were not trying to just get a tan, and, uh, but, but they were all sick and special needs. And, and this was not a pool, however, for physical therapy. That's kind of the thing right now. This was not a pool for recreation. This pool had another purpose. We'll find out about that in a moment. And then it happens to focus on one particular person at the pool. Verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 
Now, just some quick information before we continue reading. In ancient times, medical treatment was very limited. Number one, because doctors were pretty much a luxury for only the wealthy. Common people really didn't have much access to, uh, to doctors. Number two, doctors didn't have a lot of medical knowledge at that time. And, and one of the reasons for this was that in the first and second centuries, and I was reading about this this past week, Rome had a law. And the law said that a doctor could not examine a dead body. That they could only examine bodies that still had life in them. And so... Uh, one of the things that doctors would try to do is to get to a dying person before they took their last breath, and, and they would kind of do as much as possible, and obviously not cut on them, but they would try to do a bit of an autopsy before they died, because once the person died, the law did not allow the doctor to touch the body. But, but anyway, since, since common people didn't have access to medical care, when they got sick, they put their trust in two things. Number one, they put their trust in their temples. And the reason they put their trust in the temples is because uh, they were full of idols and full of images of their gods. And so they thought that the temple gods that they worshipped would look down on them with favor and heal them, which, of course, we know is not, not true. But secondly, when people were sick, they, they put their trust in superstitious beliefs. Pagans had brought into the Jewish culture traditions and superstitions, and so Jewish people had picked up some of the pagan practices. And so as we read our scripture, more than likely it's referring to one of those superstitious beliefs. Let's skip down. We'll come back to verse 6, but let's skip down to verse 7 to find out what that belief was. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, evidently there was an urban legend, or, or since this pool was actually associated with a nearby pagan temple, more than likely it was a superstition. But it, it said that in this pool of water, every once in a while, and it was unpredictable, it wasn't like old faithful, you know, when you've you got an idea when it's going to spew, but, but it was unpredictable, but an angel would show up and stir the water, and if you happened to be the first, and it was limited to the first person to get into the water after it had been stirred by the angel, then you would be healed. And, and nobody knew exactly what the stirring of the, of the water was. Uh, but, but here's what some scholars believe. And by the way, if you visited Israel, you've probably been to the pool of Bethesda. But anyway, when this area was excavated, and I found this super interesting, they discovered a natural spring at the bottom of the pool. And so some scholars have suggested that the stirring of the water could have been that spring that maybe occasionally surged with extra pressure, or maybe it had some air bubbles, released them to the top and caused some ripples. Uh, they, they don't know for sure, but that's a possibility. But, but something took place that would cause the surface of the water on occasion to have ripples and be disturbed. And they just assumed it was an angel. Well, when that happened, when, when the water was stirred, when there were ripples, then there was literally a mad rush. Because all of these sick people and, and the lame and the blind and the special needs people, some of them had to drag themselves. Some of them would try to, to crawl or hop down to the water. And, and, and a few had loved ones that really cared about them. And so they would try to pick them up to get them to the water in hopes that they could be the first one into the water and therefore be healed. Now, 
I want to point out we don't have record of anyone actually being healed in this pool. So more than likely, that's why I'm saying it was probably just superstition. But anyway, Jesus walked into this area that healthy people as a whole avoided. Because not only were there communicable diseases there, but it smelled horrible. People had open sores, oozing sores, not to mention that they would just lay there all day long and hygiene and cleanliness, especially for these special needs people, was not a priority. I have to just kind of insert this here at, here at, this, uh, at the church after every service. And thank you for those of you that are part of the clean team. But as soon as the second service is over, we have a team that goes in and, and they spray things down and sanitize mics and everything, uh, handles bathrooms, everything that uh, pe- people are, are, are touching. Thank you to those of you who, who do that, who put yourselves at, at risk there. And, and uh, be, besides that, we also have these little automatic thingies that go, psh, you know, deodorizers or whatever, and try to make this place smell, smell good. And, uh, but, but even with all of that, no, no offense, I know you take showers, but sometimes after a service, or especially after a Sunday school class where we're in a, in, in a small class like that, it, it's kind of ripe. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, no, no offense, and, and I know you shower, I know you use deodorant, at least most of you do, and, but, but there at the pool of Bethesda, house of mercy, remember? There, there would have been no clean team, clean team, no sanitizing crew, no, no nice smells coming from the deodorizer, and, and more than likely, since some of these people were terminally ill, no doubt you had people that died there fairly frequently, might have taken them several hours or maybe even a day or so to drag the body out and dispose of the body. So healthy people avoided this area, but not Jesus. He strolled right into the middle of these sick and maimed and contagious people. Well, in that crowd of moaning and groaning people, there was someone that caught Jesus' attention. It was a man We don't know his age, but we do know that he had been hanging out at the pool, the the pool of Bethesda, for 38 years. Now, when I read this earlier, 38 years, and when I just said this, 38 years, most of us didn't even give it a second thought. I mean, partially because we know the story and it barely registers in our minds. But, but, but here's something else that I've noticed. We struggle feeling compassion for suffering people who are different than we are. Some of them may be across the world. Some of them may be across town. And, and so sometimes we struggle feeling compassion for people that are not in our close circle. That's why I've had multiple people ask me, well, do you know anyone that has died of the coronavirus? And sometimes they won't even let me answer because they want to tell me what they think. And and they will jump in and say, I don't know anybody that's died. And so even though nearly 140,000 Americans, and I checked the figures this week, nearly 140,000 Americans have lost their lives to it just the first half of this year. Yet it's tough for them, it's tough for me, it's tough for all of us to engage emotionally and and feel compassion 
because we don't know a soul that's died from it. In fact, and this is sad, I probably shouldn't say this, but there's some people that are way more upset about wearing face masks than the fact that 140,000 people have lost their lives. We get upset about this. And the compassion for those whose lives have been drastically changed and turned upside down many times is non-existent. You know, here's another illustration of how we struggle having compassion for something that doesn't touch us. Uh, Did you realize that 1.5 million people die each year to TB, uh, tuberculosis? And I guess that that means a lot to me because I'm a survivor myself of of TB. I had TB as a child. Um, But because we don't know any of those 1.5 million people that died of TB last year, Last year? Last year alone? It's almost like those deaths don't raise our compassion needle. You know, I I read this week 50,000 people, and catch this number, 50,000 people go blind each year in the U.S. alone. And again, because most of us don't know one of those 50,000 people, it doesn't bother us. I also read 185,000 people in our country alone have a limb amputated every year. And it doesn't bother us because we don't know anybody like that. So as we read this account, it's easy for us to read over the fact that this man had been an invalid for 38 years and not even think about it. But try hard to focus on the time frame here. 38 years. This man had been an invalid here at the pool of Bethesda For 38 years. He had been seeking healing for 38 years. For for 38 years he had been praying, hoping, trying to be the first one to drag himself to the pool after the waters were troubled. For how long? 38 years. Try to catch the hopelessness, the emotion, the despair that he had to feel. Let's jump back to verse 6 to continue reading this narrative. When Jesus saw him lying there, and, and this week I questioned, why did Jesus pay attention to him? I, I wonder maybe since he'd been there 38 years, uh, maybe he was the oldest one there, I don't know. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, and, 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 and the Bible doesn't say this, but I believe that Jesus, the most compassionate person to ever live, began to be overwhelmed with compassion for him. And I wonder if he didn't kneel down beside him and put his hand on his knee. And then he asked him a strange question. And I want to read the question that Jesus asked this man. And then I'm going to ask you the same question. Um. This is not the main point of the message, but it's a relevant question. He asked him, do you want to get well? Jesus asks this man, who had been an invalid for 38 years, do you want to get well? And so, here's my question to you. Do you, do you 
want to get well. You say, well, I'm not sick. Really? You may not be sick physically, but most of us have needs. Some of us have emotional needs. I I know a lot of healthy people physically that have some deep, deep deep-seated emotional needs, and they suffer so much. Most of us have relational needs. There's a longing to find a friend. There's a longing to have an estranged relationship restored. And you would be surprised how many of us have a, an estranged or at least semi-estranged relationship. And then there's the matter of addictions. I, I read, and this number blew me away, but there are 23 million Americans who are addicted to alcohol and or drugs. 23 million Americans. There's the matter of disorders, eating disorders, sleep disorders, social disorders. There's the matter of fear. And and I think the virus has probably accentuated the fear in some of us. People that maybe could camouflage it a little bit, you know, camouflage their anxiety up, up until now. But the coronavirus has exposed the fear that they're living under an unhealthy and maybe even ungodly level of fear. So the truth is that most of us are sick in some way. We have something that needs healing in our lives. And so the question again is, for every one of us, do you want to get well? And the reason that is such an important question is because not everybody wants to get well. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but not everyone who is sick or addicted or has a disorder wants to get well. And I I think there are several reasons. One, sometimes getting well is harder than staying sick. To get well, in many instances, takes a lot of effort and time and and discipline and therapy and sometimes medication. Also, sometimes by staying sick, (laughs) this kind of sounds funny, but it's true. You get things that you won't get if you get well. Like maybe financial assistance. I remember back quite a few years ago, a man was coming to our church and he had back issues and, and as a result could no longer work and so he applied for and received disability and I think it was legit. And, but one day this man, and he was at, at another church and moved on. And, but anyway, he, uh, they, they had a healing service and, and uh, claimed that he had been miraculously and instantaneously healed of his back issues, and and he gave public testimony. God has completely healed me, and and I heard about it. The pastor was telling me, and I rejoiced, but you know me, sometimes I can't keep my big mouth shut when when it needs to stay shut, but I asked the pastor, oh, you know, I rejoice, but I got a question here. Did he go off of disability? Because his back was now healed, and he should be able to work again, and Well, the pastor said, hmm, he went to him and asked him about it. Well, all of a sudden, that healing, instantaneous, complete healing wasn't as complete as he had testified. Uh, You know, others love the attention that being sick gets them, and they post on Facebook, well, today's not a good day for me. You know, I feel horrible. And, and, And there's an occasion to update a health condition on Facebook, but sometimes People just want the attention. So let me ask the question, then we'll move on, and you'll be glad that I'm going to move on. Do you want to get well? You should at least answer this question 
in the mirror when you get home. Well, as, as it turns out, Jesus said, do you want to get well to this man? And, and he really wanted to get well. And at this point, he doesn't know Jesus. But when Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? He probably thought, why are you asking me such a dumb question? Of course, I want to get well. And I've been trying for 38 years. And you don't know this because you don't hang out here. But I've been trying every time the angel stirs the water. I try hard to scoot and drag myself down to the water. But someone's always faster than I am. Well, Jesus, in verse 8, said to him, he just said, do you want to get well? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. 38 years, he was trying to be the first one into the pool. 38 years, coming in no better than second. And here in just a matter of a few seconds, this complete stranger heals him and tells him, pick up your mat and walk. Now, this man probably doesn't believe him at first, but he thinks, you know, what do I have to lose? And he makes the effort to stand. Sure enough, his legs support his weight. Maybe takes a few slow, cautious steps to make sure he doesn't fall, but then walks faster and thought, I'm going to just take a walk around the pool. And then maybe comes back around to thank this man who had healed him. Um, But if you skip on down to verse 13, you find that Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. And so at the the end of the story is that everyone rejoices and lives happily ever after. Right? Wrong. Because here is the way this came across. It was also... Almost as if Jesus had taken a stick and whacked a hornet's nest. Let me explain. Because in and around Jerusalem, and especially around the temple, Pharisees walked around and patrolled the area, making sure that nobody violated the laws of the Sabbath. Well, all of a sudden, they see a rule breaker. They see a man walking towards the temple carrying a mat. It was this man that had been healed. More than likely, he hadn't been in the temple for at least 38 years. The the religious leaders back then didn't want disabled people in the temple because they associated disability with sin. They figured that this man had sinned. And so that's why God had punished him with disability so he was not welcome to worship in the temple because he was a sinner. But finally, as a healed man... More than likely, he thought, you know what, now I can go in and give thanks to God, maybe offer a sacrifice. But on the way to the temple, the rule watchdogs, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, see him carrying his mat. Verse 9 said to the man who had been, healed, uh, who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, did you catch what they said? They said the law forbids you from carrying your mat. But, but, let me point out that the law actually didn't forbid him. It was their tradition that did. It was called the tradition of the elders. Sometimes it was called the, the oral Torah. And, and the theory was that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he, he, he had the written Torah, you know, the Ten Commandments, 
But traditionally, was that he came down with an oral Torah that wasn't in writing. And so supposedly Moses passed it on to Joshua, passed it on to the judges, who passed it on to the prophets, and ended up in the hands of the Pharisees. And then what happened is that the Pharisees had developed all of these extra rules that were kind of like an extra fence or a layer because you had the Ten Commandments, you had the Law and the Prophets, and so they felt like there needed to be extra protection, and so they developed, and this is crazy, 39 categories of things, not not 39 things, 39 categories of things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And one of them was you could not carry something from one place to another. So these religious leaders, they're, they're almost like religious highway patrolmen on duty. They catch this man carrying his mat on the Sabbath. They turn their lights on, turn their sirens on and say, drop your mat. Put your hands up. You're under arrest for violating the fourth commandment of keeping the Sabbath day holy. But they did not understand why God had given the commandment to Moses in the first place. And as you study this commandment, the whole point was to take a break from labor. But they thought it was to take a break from love. It was to take a break from your occupation. But they decided to take a break from compassion. And for people who are focused on rules, many times they forget the why behind the what. Don't ever forget the why behind the what. As church people, we do this all the time. You know, in trying to defend our theological perspective or trying to defend our preference in music. Or trying to defend our position on this. We show bad attitudes. We show an ugliness that the child of God should never show. And what happens is we begin to neglect the people that God has called us to reach because this is what I think. It happens from our theological persuasion. And, you know, as as I look around here and, you know, we've got people from different church backgrounds. We've got people from Pentecostal backgrounds. We've got people from Southern Baptist backgrounds. We've got people from the Christian church and all in between, all sides of the spectrum. And and so if we're not careful, we begin to try to defend, you know, what we think is purity, theological purity or music purity or my opinion because I've researched it and there is a medical doctor that supports my theory And we neglect the people that God has called us to reach. That's why John, a few chapters earlier, had to remind us of something. And I think you'll remember this. For God so loved the world. God so loved people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Even Republicans. And Democrats, black, brown, white, beige, yellow. He loved people so much. Try to catch the love that he sent his only son to pay for their sin, pay for my sin, pay for our sin. Why? So that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could be restored 
to a point to where we could even be saved and receive forgiveness and everlasting life. But in our account, the Pharisees were putting rules over relationship. They were putting liturgy over love. They were putting tradition over compassion. And, and, and so they said to this man who had just been healed, it's the Sabbath, shame on you. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But remember, it wasn't the law. It was just their tradition. How many times have we allowed tradition to divide us? And how many times have we elevated tradition and put it on the same level of God's Word? You know, we're, we're all into our own traditions. We say, well, I'm not into traditions. Yes, you are. Um, just because you're not into somebody else's traditions, you know, doesn't mean you have your own traditions. And so when it comes to just coming together like this, there's so many different church traditions. Many of them are good. But remember, our traditions, even though maybe good, they don't have the same authority as God's Word. And most of the time, what divides the church of Jesus Christ is traditions. Traditions. So they say, stop in the name of the law. Put down your mat, you lawbreaker. Why are you breaking the rules? And verse 11, he replied, well, the man, and he didn't know who he was, but the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. I think he was saying, hey, you religious leaders, the reason I picked up my mat was because the man who healed me, which, by the way, was something you religious leaders couldn't do, which, by the way, all you did was ignore me and condemn me for 38 years, saying my disability was proof that I was a sinner. And, and by the way, something that I learned this week was to show how, you know, just to show how deeply ingrained this concept was, there was a theory that if a woman were pregnant and she happened to maybe go to a pagan temple, which would have been sin for them, it was believed that her child sinned as well even though the child was in the womb. Because the child in the womb went to the pagan temple. That's how deeply ingrained it was. So the religious leaders, they said, your disability is proof, man. You are a total sinner. You are getting what you deserve. But, but this man comes along and heals him. And after 38 years of being an invalid, after 38 years of being ignored and, and shunned by the religious leaders, don't, don't you think that if, if a stranger came to you and healed you after 38 years, that you would just do what he asked you to do? Pick up your mat and walk? So what do you think was their next question? Verse 12. You, you guessed it. You're smart. So they ask him, uh, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Because here's what they were thinking. They were thinking, aha, we have another rule breaker on the loose. Because he obviously broke the rule where you were not supposed to practice medicine on the Sabbath. They wanted to find him and arrest him as well. And the Bible doesn't say this. And I've, I've never read after anyone else that suggested this. So this is probably just another worthless thought of your pastor. But but I wonder if the religious leaders lowered their voices and said, hey, 
if you will give us the name of the man that broke the rule by healing you on the Sabbath, we can maybe work out a plea deal for you, a plea bargain. We won't punish you for carrying your mat on the Sabbath. Again, maybe just a worthless thought there. But verse 13 says, the man who, heal, who was healed had no idea who it was. I, I can't even give you a name. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Well, a little later, and we don't know how much later, the Bible just says later, in 14, verse 14, later, Jesus found him at the temple. So it looked like Jesus on purpose looked for him and, and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. Pay attention to this. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Have you ever wondered what was being said there? And I don't, I don't have the answer. Uh, smart people, way smarter than I am, they, they disagree what Jesus was meaning when he said that. But uh, one person wondered if Jesus wasn't just kind of saying this tongue-in-cheek. He, he suggested that maybe Jesus was kind of poking fun at the Pharisees and, and saying to this man, hey, you're carrying your mat around, you big sinner, you... You better stop carrying your little mat and sinning or these religious patrolmen will get you. And maybe, you know, some people snickered at that. We, we don't know exactly what Jesus meant. But in verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And I don't think that the man was trying to throw Jesus under the bus. I don't think that at all. I don't think there was a plea agreement. I just think he was so excited I'm healed, and there, there's the man that did it. Verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him, and it all began to go downhill from there. Jesus began to explain who, he, who his father was, that he was on equal basis, and the Jews went ballistic, and and a couple of verses later, it says the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, so it was going from bad to worse. But then it culminates in a verse that is so powerful, and I pray that God would help you to see how powerful this verse is. Verse 24, I tell you the truth. Listen, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. See that? Whoever hears my word believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Can I just summarize what I think, you know, maybe Jesus was saying? I think Jesus was telling these Pharisees, you know, your whole life you've searched the Scriptures and we would call it the Old Testament. You know, the Law and the Prophets is what they referred to. You've searched the Scriptures because you think that knowledge, knowledge of the Scriptures, knowledge of the Law and the Prophets rule-keeping gives you eternal life. And, and Jesus, I think, was saying, you've opted for the written over the living. You've chosen your interpretation over a living demonstration. And I wonder if he said, and gentlemen, up until now, you might have had an excuse. Up until now, all you had was the law, the prophets, and the wisdom of Solomon, the sayings of David, and maybe promises to Abraham, and you might have had a little bit of an excuse not to believe, but I think he says, no longer. Because to use John's words at the beginning of his book, the word has become flesh. 
And man, I'm, I'm here. And I think Jesus was saying, I'm standing in front of you. The word is standing in front of you. The guessing game is over. The mystery is solved. The written word has become flesh. And it's me. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. And for us today, we, we don't have the baggage of the law and the festivals and the sacrifices to confuse us. I can't even imagine how complicated it was back then. But for us, God has made it simple. He showed up. He spoke up. He clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so, could I just say, please don't get confused. Don't let rules, even good rules, fool you into thinking that's what serving Jesus is about. Don't let traditions, even good traditions, fool you into thinking that is what serving Christ is about. That's what the Pharisees thought. They thought if we can study the law and the prophets and and follow the rules of the oral Torah, the unwritten Torah, That's all we have to do. But they were so lost. You know, the written word pointed to the living word. Understand that the written word, the law and the prophets pointed to the living word. And and the living word has a name. His name is Jesus. And eternal life comes only through Jesus Christ. And if we get this right, our rules will be right. If we get this right, our traditions will be right. So here's been my prayer for you and for me and for all of us this past week. My prayer has been this. God, would you help us to come back to the simplicity of serving Jesus? Don't let our traditions, don't let our rules, don't let our politics, don't let our preferences, don't let our differences over this Keep us from knowing Jesus. May we know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. I think it would be a tragedy for us to get our eyes off on something else. And, you know, I think that's what's happening right now is, you know, the battle is is raging. As I said last week, whenever the virus appeared, we went to war. May we just come back to the simplicity of Jesus Christ. You know what? You're not going to agree on everything. I'm not going to agree. I don't even agree with what I thought yesterday sometimes. And, and, and so today, I, I just think it would be so tragic if, if we got away from Jesus and began championing all of these other things. So... If you maybe have strayed away from Jesus, could I urge you to come back to the simplicity? The written word has become the living word. And he has a name. His name is Jesus. And if you have maybe strayed away from Jesus, would you just come back? Come back to Jesus. Ask forgiveness invite him to come and take control of you.
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.